I love my wife. You know that to be true. You assume that to be true. You hope that that's true. But what if I said that? And I said that all the time. I say it to you. I say it to her. But you noticed in observing my life during the week that I never spend time with her. That, in fact, I'm disengaged from her. I'm sleeping in another room. I spend all day in another room. I spend weekends not even in her home. I don't help her in any way. I don't lead her. I don't shepherd her. I don't teach her the scriptures. I don't show her her sin. In other words, there is zero evidence of my love for her outside of what I have said to you. You would say that that's not love. Those are mere words. Those are, in fact, deceitful words. Because love involves time and attention. Love involves thinking through how to love, how to manifest that love in practical ways. It means engaging my mind so that I can use my God-given knowledge and wisdom of the world, of the Scriptures, and of my wife and how to best love her. It's the same thing with God. He loves the church. He loves us. He loves you. And these are not mere words in the pages of Scripture. This is not just lip service, but it is love evidenced through His interaction with us, not just in Christ when He was here, but every day since, in particular in how He has orchestrated, created, designed the church by giving us spiritual gifts. It is evidence of His love. And not only do we see His love through our spiritual gifts, the opportunity to serve one another and to serve Him, but we see His eternal and infinite wisdom in those gifts. Not just throwing something together so that it looks like He loves us, so that it seems like He cares, but embodying the fullness of His wisdom and love through how He has given us all spiritual gifts. And not throwing those together but has put you in a local church where your gift is necessary, where you are needed, where you are an exact fit of a hole in a puzzle where only you belong. And so this morning, as we continue our study on spiritual gifts, I want to give you three evidences, three evidences of God's love and wisdom in spiritual gifts, three evidences of God's love for us, His wisdom shown to us in spiritual gifts. Turn with me to the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We find ourselves in verses 27 through 31, 27 to the end of the chapter. Chapter 13, as you know, is the great chapter on love. But he is still talking about spiritual gifts, and then he picks up that specific topic again in chapter 14. But for this morning, we find ourselves at the end of chapter 12, where he writes, starting in verse 27, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? 
All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still a more excellent way. The first evidence of God's love and wisdom in spiritual gifts we find in verse 27, and this is the complete integration. The complete integration. Integration meaning bringing together into a complete whole. To make something whole. To make something complete. Verse 27 says, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And we've seen in depth how he has illustrated the church with the human body, comparing the members of the church, the members of the human body, the eye, the head, the hands, the feet. And Paul now brings it to an incredible with the pronoun you in relation to all that he has taught. He brings it home. He says, all that I've been saying, this is you. You are the members of Christ's body. And so we know this doesn't apply just to the Corinthians 2,000 years ago. We know that all believers make up the body of Christ. And as such, we are all different members of that body. Again, you picture the illustration of the human body. And over the past few weeks, we've seen the need for all members because God has gifted us all to fit perfectly in that body, in that framework called the local church. When all pieces are functioning properly according to their spiritual gifts, then the puzzle is complete. The body is healthy. The body is fully able. Regardless of where or how you fit in, we have seen that there is no justification for thinking that you don't belong or for proudly thinking others don't belong. Whether you tend towards keeping your distance or pushing others away, the reality is that we are all needed. We are all important. We are all gifted by grace. And this is important, that just as we are one in Christ, we must be one in each other. That's how the body works. And every local church has been fully equipped to serve the Lord. Every local church. And though you look at our church, and we have grown over the years, celebrating 10 years this month of our church's existence, because we have grown in numbers, obviously the needs are far greater and the needs are more numerous than they were even just two or three years ago. But all of these needs can be met because the people that the Lord has brought to this church who are the reason for the greater number of needs are also people who can meet other needs. That's how the body works. Every local church, ours included, is fully equipped to serve the Lord because we have all been given spiritual gifts and the Lord has orchestrated for you to be right here. Not just a few months ago when you're deciding on which church to attend, but He had this in mind among other reasons, but in part He had you belonging to this church in mind when you moved here for a job two years ago. When your parents moved here to the United States and chose the San Francisco Bay Area 80 years ago, 
He had in mind to gift you with a particular spiritual gift to be used in Grace Church of the Bay Area in October of 2021. And how that is used may change as we grow, as you interact with more people. We are equipped to fully function, but like that warehouse, like that business, like that mechanic, you may have the equipment, but it may never be used. Well, yeah, I know the job would be quicker and easier for everyone, and I know we spend a lot of money on that piece of equipment, but it takes a lot of work to learn. The learning curve is high, and I'd rather just do it the old way. I'd rather just not be involved. We are equipped, but some of the equipment is just sitting in the corner getting dusty and not being used. And my point is, We are fully equipped to maximally serve each other and the Lord, but we may not be doing so because we are not fully functioning because some who are equipped are not using what they have been equipped with, their particular spiritual gift, which then bleeds into larger and larger concentric circles of your time, your money, your other talents, which can be used in the church, though it may not even be your particular spiritual gift gift. When we do this properly, when we are all serving, as a church, we honor the Lord, yes. We serve each other, yes. We edify each other and then in turn honor the Lord through that, yes. But we also manifest Jesus Christ to our community. As we desire this for other communities, we look at what's going on in the world, Perhaps you hear a news story about what's going on in the Middle East and you pray for the few number of Christians there because their lives are in danger. Please be bold. The underground church in China, we pray for them. Be bold. Preach the gospel. Teach the truth. We desire this around the world, but we must also focus on our own community and know that the representation of Jesus Christ lies not in my hands, but in our hands. Every single one. Not our, as in if 51% are doing it, the majority, that's fine. Every single one to represent Jesus Christ as a church, as a people, as a body, as His body to this world that we know so desperately needs to see Him and know Him. We have a variety of members, as any church does. We have a variety of diversity, as any church does, of gifts. All must be working together as one. Put down your ego, set down your pride, set down your laziness, and let us work together to represent Jesus Christ to the community and for one another. This, friends, is incredible. You're in the midst of it, sometimes you don't see it. In the midst of the difficulties of raising your family, you don't see how blessed you are. In the midst of your amazing job that so many people desire, you don't realize how blessed you are. And being part of the church, sometimes we don't realize how incredible this is. Folding chairs, high school, uh, why don't we have a building? Why can't we have pews? Why can't we have this? Why can't we have that? This, my friends, is incredible. Take a step back and look at what the church is. Get beyond our egos. 
get beyond our focus on comfort, go beyond our natural resistance to sacrifice and hard work, and you see God's wisdom and love printed all over the pages of the story of Grace Church of the Bay Area. And when you flip open that book and read this story, you should not be surprised to see your name written in there because you're part of the story. The question is, what is the description under your name in that book? Gifted but rarely used? or woven into the tapestry of Christ with the thread of your spiritual gift, time, money, and talents. The fact that God has included you is evidence of His love. You understand that sometimes the way people love us is not what we want. We don't want to be confronted on our sin. We don't want to be gifted things that are just utilitarian. Right? We want luxury items, but that's love. We didn't want our parents to shove that spoonful of nasty medicine that they somehow believe tastes like cherry but doesn't into our mouths. But they loved us, so they did. We didn't want those shots, those casts, those x-rays, those hospital stays, all of that. She didn't want to go through the pain of childbirth, so there you go. But out of love, they did. We did. And you may not want to give up your freedoms to do whatever you want and have to serve others and sacrifice for others, but it is evidence of His love that He's included you in this amazing body called the church. And the fact that He has designed you specifically in a way that you can be included and fit, and be effective is evidence of His wisdom. And we are all included, every single one. And this leads us to our second evidence of God's love and wisdom in spiritual gifts, the comprehensive inclusion. The comprehensive inclusion. The inclusion of believers into the church and its proper functioning demands that the inclusion is comprehensive. That's the way God has created it. He has created it in a way that we can function, but not the way we are supposed to, unless everyone is included. That is, all are involved in some way. And for all to be involved, we simply cannot all have the same spiritual gift. There has to be diversity and variety. We all have different gifts, and thus we have different roles. And this has been true all the way back 2,000 years ago from the very beginning of the church, including when sign gifts were still part of the body. And that's why he mentions them here, the comprehensive inclusion I find in verses 28 through 30. Let me read that for you. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Let's stop there for now. The first thing that you'll notice or should notice in this passage is the word appointed. 
You know what that means, appointed to an office, appointed to a position. It speaks of placing or setting someone into an official appointment or office, giving them a specific title. This thus reiterates God's plan and responsibility for the diversity of spiritual gifts within the local church. Then Paul proceeds to illustrate this with a list of different spiritual gifts to prove, hey, look, there's a lot here. We're not all the same. They're all different. We're all different. Now, as we saw earlier in chapter 12, his point here is not to list uh, all of the spiritual gifts that exist or that God gives. His point is, again, to highlight the fact that there is a variety of gifts and roles distributed and assigned, appointed, so that everyone is different and included. Now, we saw some of these uh, uh, gifts listed earlier in the chapter. All in all, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, there are 13 different spiritual gifts listed. If you add the spiritual gifts that aren't listed here, but are listed in the other two major lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament, Ephesians 4 and Romans 12, total you have about 20 different spiritual gifts listed for us. Now remember, Paul's point is to show God's grace and plan in the church for the church. It's not to give you a full list for you to find your gift. So if your spiritual gift you believe is not listed in what we're about to see, that's okay. There are other gifts elsewhere, and in fact, as you'll see, many of these gifts aren't even in existence today. You still have a spiritual gift, even if it's not here. So let's run down this list. He starts with the first three, and he gives them in order of significance. The first is most important, second, then third. And these first three, he lists as people with the spiritual gift and not the spiritual gift itself. And then after those first three, he lists different spiritual gifts that are pretty much all equal in importance. First, he says, apostles. An apostle or apostle was an official title given to specifically 13 men. The 12 disciples of Jesus Christ, with Judas being replaced by Matthias and Paul. Now, in order to be an apostle, there were requirements. You had to have been a witness of the resurrected Lord, which Paul did in a supernatural way, and you had to be called specifically by him, which Jesus did with the 12 when he was there with them in person, and he did with the apostle Paul in a miraculous voice. These men, the apostles, as you know, were foundational to the church. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20 tells us that God's household, the church, was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone, the, the, the main stone that really set the direction of everything now more, now more like a, these days a, a token type of thing to establish the building. There's actually one on the wall out there. The apostles communicated revelation from God, and in their teaching, they exercised the authority of God. They exercised divine authority. And this authority was evidenced by miracles and signs that they would perform to confirm that what they spoke was indeed the Word of God. This is an office that no longer exists in the church today. Some claim it. They're wrong. 
Some have likened apostleship or the apostles to a delegate being sent to a conference. When the conference is over, when the conference ends, the position no longer exists. In this case, the convention would loosely be the establishment of the church and the canonization of Scripture. But in the Corinthians' day, there were apostles. They were, in fact, reading a letter written by one. And so this would make sense to them. This would hit home. And it just does also teach us which, was, which spiritual gift, which office was the most significant and important in the history of the church. The second, prophets. People who, like the apostles, spoke for God. This was different, different than the gift of prophecy. Prophets had the gift of prophecy, but there were many people who were not considered prophets that also had the gift of prophecy. There were those who consistently were declaring the words of God to people and became known as prophets. Some of them are listed in Acts chapter 13 and verse 1. They too were foundational to the establishment of the church, as we saw in Ephesians 2.20. They were especially necessary before the completion of the canon of Scripture to be able to tell people what God's Word was. They had the Old Testament, but not the New Testament. Like apostles, this is an office that no longer exists. Some argue that it does because prophecy literally means forthtelling. So they would say anyone who is telling forth the Scriptures, as I am right now, would be practicing prophecy. Uh, but I think you understand what I mean when I say the prophets, in that sense, no longer exist. Third, teachers. Side note, in the list in Ephesians 4, specifically in verse 11, the spiritual gift or the spiritual gifted role of evangelists is listed between prophets and teachers. Here, Paul goes straight to teachers. Since this is a spiritual gift, we know that this is a teacher of God's Word and not just anyone we would classify as a teacher in society. This title, teacher, was used of John the Baptist, it was used of Paul, it was used of Jesus Christ. This was someone who had the spiritual gift of conveying God's truth, interpreting and instructing others of and about God's Word. Clearly, this is a title, a role, a spiritual gift that still exists. Like evangelism or the gift of evangelism, all believers regardless of spiritual gift, will find themselves teaching God's Word to someone, somehow, in some way. But there are clearly those who have been supernaturally gifted by God to do so. Although typically a pastor has the spiritual gift of teaching, not all teachers are pastors or elders. Next, he lists miracles. We saw this back in verse 10, where just like it is here, is distinguished from the specific miraculous spiritual gift of healing. Miracles, as a general spiritual gift, involves performing miracles, supernatural feats outside of the laws of nature. Some examples from Scripture would be Jesus turning water into wine, raising the dead, calming the raging storm, feeding thousands with just a little bit of bread. 
This is, again, a spiritual gift that is no longer given in the church. Fifthly, he has gifts of healings. This is miraculous, but is very particular. Spirit-enabled supernatural ability to miraculously, and that's key, heal an illness or a handicap. Not, really, not a really good doctor or gifted scientist, but a miracle worker. These are people who, when they heal someone, the person who was previously handicapped, blind, did not just have, for, blind, for example, did just not have, okay, I can kind of see things now, but everything's blurry. No, they had perfect 20-20 vision. They no longer had to crawl on the floor and now walk with a limp. No, they walked perfectly. They could run. They could sprint. Perfectly healed. This isn't, okay, you're much better now. You can get out of bed, but you've got to rest and drink plenty of water for the next week. No, perfectly healed, virus, illness, handicap, blindness, deafness, mute, whatever, gone instantly. Again, not a gift that still exists, though some claim that it does. Some claim that they are performing it. As a reminder, even while the apostles were still alive, this spiritual gift was diminishing. It was fading out by God's design. You have even recorded for us in the New Testament several of the apostles' close friends who had physical ailments that the apostles did not or could not heal. Timothy's stomach, Trophimus's and Epaphroditus's illnesses, none of them dealt with by apostolic power, though the apostles were healing people previously. To be clear, it's not that God can't miraculously heal someone or perform a miracle. He can. But we're talking about a spiritual gift given to a human being where the human being has a choice to perform that whenever they want. I think I gave this illustration to you previously. I have the gift of teaching and preaching. I preach on Sunday mornings, but I can choose not to, and I can choose to preach whenever I want. I can go out and street preach. I can preach to my kids, which unfortunately for them I do too often. I can preach to my wife. I can preach to myself in the mirror by my choice. I'm not overcome and have no control over it. I choose to do it. And so the people who had the gift of miracles or gift of healing, they chose to heal whenever they wanted to. And so when you see these faith healers today, they're clearly not doing it because some are healed, some aren't, and then they blame the guy for lack of faith. That's not how the gift of healing works. So God can still do it. It's just not a spiritual gift. The next two are helps and administrations. These are, this is the only place that they are mentioned in the New Testament. Helps means an undertaking on behalf of another. It can also be described or defined as this, and I really like this one. Removing someone's burden. We get that, helping someone. But that's not it. That's only half the definition. Removing someone's burden and placing it on yourself. That is the spiritual gift of helps. It involves assisting others, helpful deeds. This would involve meeting physical needs, but also spiritual needs. This is very broad. This is very practical. And as such, this is one of the most 
common and widely distributed spiritual gifts in the church, including today. This can often be long-term, day-by-day ministering. It can be ministry that is often unnoticed. It can be a one-time help for that particular person that you're helping. This is a very important spiritual gift as it meets many seemingly smaller needs but significant needs. And as those with the spiritual gift of helps do this, it in turn helps support those with other spiritual gifts, such as the ones that need to focus on preaching and teaching or evangelism, for example. Much of this would describe the role of deacons in the church, although this spiritual gift is given to many others besides deacons. Seventh, and also not mentioned anywhere else, is administrations. This is perhaps the most confusing simply because this word does not mean what it normally means in American English. This is not administration in the sense of organizing an office, a secretary, an administrative assistant. That's not what the Greek word means. This is a leadership gift. It literally refers to someone steering a ship a boat, a vessel. In fact, another form of this very Greek word is used in Acts 27:11 to speak of a pilot of a ship and a shipmaster in Revelation 18:17. So it is the spiritual gift of setting direction and guiding the church. Sometimes we call this casting vision, setting strategy, so the church heads in the right direction. Obviously, the right direction would be particularly in the right direction spiritually. Not so much, again, as we use it in English, administratively. This would be someone that's like an elder or pastor or would be an elder or pastor, would be gifted in leading the church, guiding the church. And most pastors, most elders, all pastors and elders biblically qualified, would be gifted in this way because it involves guiding the church, especially during difficult times. It is the ones with the gift of administrations who stands firm, leads the church when the anti-Christian government is knocking on the door with machetes and machine guns ready ready to arrest and does not say, whatever they say, do it deny Christ. No. The one with the spiritual gift of administrations is the one who says, no, we stand strong. We go this way. Hide, go underground, maybe, but we still stand firm to the truth of God. It might not be limited to elders, but it would involve someone who is dedicated to the spiritual health and unity of the church. So the one who is gifted in this is able to do this at all costs. This goes beyond theology and doctrine. This is people helping the church as a people to navigate still waters, but also difficult waters. Finally, and some believe he puts this last because the Corinthians were putting it first, you have the gift of tongues. 
We've seen that the Corinthians view uh, this as the highest gift. This is actually the source of all of their pride and their putting down other people. The gift of tongues is a miraculous ability to speak in a human language, a known language, known in the world, but previously unlearned by that individual. This is not a polyglot. This is not someone who's a, a gifted linguist. It is someone who starts speaking and is able to speak fluently with no errors the Word of God, the truth of God, to someone in another language. Not gibberish, not an unknown language, maybe unknown to the people there, but it's a language that someone, some ethnicity, some people group speaks somewhere on the earth. And so this is one that doesn't exist anymore, but God could still use. God could still miraculously have an unreached people group hear the gospel from someone who's not really speaking their language and doesn't even know it, to hear the gospel in their language, but that is rare. That is not the spiritual gift. That individual did not choose to do it. They're probably surprised that the, pers- the, the, the tribal people or whatever are sitting there nodding and repenting, okay? Again, in this list of spiritual gifts, these are only some of the gifts. And they serve as a backdrop as Paul emphasizing that in God's sovereignty, everyone is gifted differently such that all are needed. And as he often does, He then drives home the point with a series of rhetorical questions. In verses 29 and 30, he asks all of them, uh, in the Greek grammar, it's very clear that the expected answer is no. Let's look at verses 29 and 30. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? That was not in our list. It was previous in 1 Corinthians 12. It's just someone who has a spiritual gift of understanding and then interpreting the guy with the gift of tongues if no one else is there to hear the language. That actually, the need for the gift of interpretation if someone has the gift of tongues becomes very important at the end of this chapter and into chapter 13. The point here with these questions is that not everyone has the same gift, and so stop looking down on people because they have a seemingly, in your mind, lesser gift, Corinthian. For the arrogant, they cannot say that they are all that is needed. For the unserving, they cannot say that they aren't needed because we've all been gifted in different ways. And specifically with the gifts that are mentioned here, Paul's making a point that not everyone is given a gift that will be public and showy and noticed. Not everyone is given the same gift. We've seen two of our three evidences of God's love and wisdom and spiritual gifts. The complete integration, the comprehensive inclusion, or you could say involvement as well. Thirdly and finally, the commanding intention. The commanding intention. In verse 31, he says, But earnestly desire the greater gifts, 
and I show you a still more excellent way. We've seen that the Corinthians view some gifts as greater than others. Paul actually agrees with this. We saw this in his numbering one through three. He's not challenging that principle. He is challenging the arrogance of those who have these greater gifts and the lack of service of those who don't. And in addressing these individuals, he rebukes the wrong thinking about what a greater gift is because they think the greater gifts are naturally the more showy gifts, such as the gift of tongues. Where Paul differs from the Corinthians in his definition of what a greater gift is, is that he considers a greater gift that which has a broader usefulness in edifying the church. Thus, apostles, then prophets, then teachers. Because by its very nature, the only one still in existence, my spiritual gift is utilized in a way that I am edifying 50, 60, 70, who knows how many, right now at the same time. Whereas someone with the gift of helps, less public, less showy, still vital, still important, still edifying, but can only do one or two or maybe even a large group at a time, but that would be a one-off situation, you see. And so Paul's saying, yeah, there are greater gifts because they edify a greater number of people at the same time. But all are still needed. All are still necessary. But his point here is that the greater gift is not something that just edifies yourself. It is not something that just feeds your ego, such as the gift of tongues, which doesn't even edify unless you have someone with the spiritual gift of interpretation. And even then, if there's no one else who speaks that language, you've only edified yourself and maybe the guy who's interpreting. So what's the point? Why are you saying this is a greater gift? You got it all wrong, Corinthians. It's about serving and edifying, not about yourself. And so you can see, What's happening in the Corinthian church is these people are like, listen to me, bonjour, whatever the, the gift is, right? As you can tell, I'm very fluent in French. <laughs> and saying, and people are like, whoa. And some guy's like, hey, I speak French. That is perfect French. You, it's not even with an accent. That is perfect French. Like, yeah. Huh? Would you like to hear some Spanish too? Or whatever. Oh, go! <laughs> you're just feeding the poor. Please, please, go back to the alleys where the poor are and where your spiritual gift belongs. All the while, he's doing nothing except feeding his own ego. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that's not a greater gift because you're not edifying, you're not serving, you're not building up. Regardless of his, what his definition is, all gifts, again, are given by God and... As we've seen so frequently, you're probably sick of me t saying it, are a blessing and to be used for 
the good of the church. And with that understanding of what a true greater gift is, Paul's last statement here makes sense, and chapter 13, the great chapter on love, understandably fits within the teaching on spiritual gifts. Because the more excellent way, as he puts it at the end of the chapter, is the way of love, which he will expand on in chapter 13. Not that love is a spiritual gift. It is not. And love is not to replace spiritual gifts. I mention that only because some of the wording in English seems to imply that. No, love is to be the motivation in using and desiring spiritual giftedness. And as we will see in chapter 13, love is to be the motivation, the foundation, the backbone of everything that we do, not just service. So, Paul is saying that it's okay to desire the greater gifts so long as you understand what defines a greater gift. When you do, your desire will not be for a particular gift, but for the edification and service of others in the church. See how that works? If you truly desire the greater gift, then you will truly be content with your own gift and start using it more effectively. In the next chapter, as I mentioned earlier, he takes a break in thought to emphasize love and then picks up again in chapter 14, which starts in verse 1, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, thus bringing us back to the topic of spiritual gifts. But both at the end of chapter 12 and the beginning of chapter 14, he uses the same phrase, earnestly desire. This is the Greek word for strong desire, which we actually most often translate in the Scriptures in English to the word jealousy. Here, it is a positive usage of the word and refers to devoting oneself to something with extreme passion and fervor. But what does it mean to passionately desire the greater gifts if, as we have said all along, It has nothing to do with us or even what we desire. It is God who chooses which gift we get. So what does it mean, earnestly desire the greater gifts? Broadly, it means to desire for yourself to love and practice biblical love, edify. Specifically, it means desire for other people in the church or other people who are believers to join the church who have the greater gifts so that they can edify us with them. You see, this hits to the heart of the problem with the Corinthians. Desire more preachers, desire more people who are going to be upfront and showy. See, the proud can't do this. They won't do this because it means less attention on them. But the humble and the loving and those who desire the church to be edified above all else will desire this and seek this out. Regardless of what your spiritual gift is or what your view is on all of this, we want to be excellent. As a Christian, you want to be excellent in all that you want to do. And we we sometimes rack our brains. How do I be excellent? How do I become a better 
dad? How do I become a more submissive employee? How do I excel in my quiet times, in my giving glory to God? Well, I got good news for you. Chapter 13 will tell you exactly how to do it because he says, I will show you a more excellent way, which is chapter 13. Excellent literally means according to the excess, a way beyond comparison. And so I'm going to teach you, Paul says, I'm going to show you the best, the cream of the crop. It doesn't get any better than this. It is beyond compare. What's it like? What would you compare it to, Paul? I can't. It is so far beyond. It is excellent. And how do we do this? What is the more excellent way? It is love. It is love. And we'll expound on this in two weeks. Next week is our Q&A. But when we hit chapter 13, we will talk about this most excellent way, how we can see whether your spiritual gift and, or your use of your spiritual gift, even if you are using it 10 hours a day, seven days a week, serving other people, it may actually be completely worthless in the eyes of God if you are not doing it with love. If you are a Christian this morning, in two weeks... You will hear me preach the most important sermon I will ever preach to you. It does not matter if you've been at this church for 10 years. It does not matter if you will be here for another 50 years. It doesn't matter if you go back and find every sermon I've ever preached in my life. In two weeks, you will hear the most important sermon I could ever preach to you if you are a Christian. If you're not a Christian, it's the gospel. But if you are a Christian, it is a sermon on what Jesus Christ, God himself says, is the most important thing, which is agape, biblical love. And if Jesus says it's the most important thing, there's absolutely nothing else that I could tell you from the scriptures that would be more important. It describes what is most important to God. We all have different views of what is most important. Some of us may think, well, I really miss some people. The most important sermon you could preach is on church attendance. The most important thing you can teach is on parenting because I've seen how, how some of these young couples are struggling how to do things biblically, on being pure for uh, the single men and women, whatever it is. No, it's love. Two weeks, first Sunday of November. And so, as I said, it determines whether anything you do as a Christian honors God or is absolutely worthless. In fact, the sermon is entitled Worthy or Worthless. But back to chapter 12. We're talking about spiritual gifts. We have seen three evidences of God's love and wisdom in spiritual gifts. Complete integration, comprehensive inclusion, and commanding intention. I love my wife, but those words are useless, they are meaningless, 
they're actually hurtful and deceptive if I am not using all my resources, my mind, my limited wisdom, to show my wife in practical ways how I truly do love her. And in the same way, by calling all of us, not just to saving faith, but integrating us into his body and making it so we have no excuse, every single one of us, young, old, infirmed, healthy, whatever it may be, unable to leave the home, we are all needed. God knows your limitation. God knows your finances. God knows you're stretched thin because of the kids. God knows your workplace. He put you there. God knows your illness and your inability to leave the home, but you are still to serve. You are called to serve. And then the commanding principle or intention must be love, which we'll unpack in a couple weeks. Because otherwise, God saying he loves us is mere lip service. But we see his love even when it makes you uncomfortable and especially when it calls you to do that which you may not want to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this clear explanation over these past few weeks and months over the beauty of your love and ingenious wisdom and plan for the church and giving us spiritual gifts. Again, Lord, I pray that you would help us to excel still more in serving, whether that means to start serving, whether it means to serve with love or greater love, more efficiently, more sacrificially. Show us what our spiritual gifts are and reveal those to us as we are proactive in serving one another. May we be a church that truly represents the thriving, growing, well-oiled body machine of the church, representing Jesus Christ to the San Francisco Bay Area Peninsula. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we close in song.